This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where you'll always find a weekly wine special, and now, specifically through February 7th, there's a new release of the Stoller Pinot Noir Rosé. Save seven bucks on that. It's only nineteen fifty, and that pairs well with salads, fish, and sushi. So you can do that, and also, you'll also be able to read about Stoller Vineyards on the Zupan's website, but also they have... Uh, for those who are not aware, they have some great wine events at the Cellar Z on Burnside. February 22nd, they have a Portuguese wine event. 6 p.m., a full tour sipping your way through Portugal while still in Portland. Very nice. And you know what else uh, pairs with wine very well, Chris? Flowers. Because just around the corner, Valentine's Day, celebrate love that love in your life with a uh, bouquet of fresh flowers from your local Zupans. This is something I do every year for my wife, Randy, is I go to my local Zupans and we put together a nice, unique arrangement with the best flowers. You can't go wrong at your local Zupans and their flowers. Do you do that with her? No, I do it by myself. I, right. I go there so, and I talk. So to this the, indicates that she doesn't listen to the podcast because now you can't surprise her. Well, she's she's come to expect it. It's it's no longer a surprise. It's there's an expectation there, and fortunately, Zupans is there to save my bacon. It always is, and so you can that can happen at any one of three locations, starting at Burnside down in um, on McAdam in Johns Landing, and also Lake Oswego. And of course, we always recommend you check out the website you mentioned it earlier, Chris Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Court Johnson, co-host. Hello, Court. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Do you like how I just kind of do that abrupt end? I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm going somewhere, and then eh, it's me. Dude, it's it's a perfect segue at a, at a, or a cue for me. That's where I pick up. And Despite the fact that I may have nothing in mind, I'll come up with it as we go. We're we're now podcast professionals, as a, as sure. is everybody else on the planet. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's interesting because, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about this for some time, just like uh, as podcasting becomes more and more uh, mainstream, um, everybody has a podcast. And as I like to say, everybody has a podcast. Even people who shouldn't have a podcast have a podcast. Well, that's true. And, you know, podcasts now are video as well, which we're not doing. Um, that's They're referring to video casts. I don't know what as podcasts. Like, so that's what they are. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And funny you should mention that. Now I know what I'm going to say. Um, I... There are a few things that I have interest in that I have, I'm part of as groups on Facebook or videos that I watch. And a couple of those, speaking of watch, is, or watches. I got an interest in watches and I love them. And over the pandemic, my interest has become more keen and so is my collection. Um, but, you know, and I, I try to do it on the cheap and I do and I love what I have. That has nothing to do with cars though. 
But I've been watching um, car videos. I just missed the auto show. They did not invite me to do the social media this year. And I must say, it was much more bland and plain than when I posted for their Instagram. But that's okay. They sure, had, okay. They had another plan. But I love, you know, I've always been into cars. Since a kid, I collected Corgi cars. And, you know, my parents took me to the auto shows in New York and always loved them. And, you know... Uh, enjoy it so lately you know with youtube i found myself on a channel uh this guy doug demuro uh in san diego is pretty much the most prolific car reviewer online and he just posted this awesome video you know the guy's interesting you either like him or you don't but he just posted this awesome video that he just bought a Porsche Carrera, which is a thread through his love of cars that started way back when. And it's a really interesting story, Court, because he started writing about cars in the middle 2000s and then found his way to YouTube uh, about when we started this podcast. That's why it struck me. And uh, now he has millions of followers with hundreds of millions of views. And he just sold his sub-company, Cars and Bids, which would be kind of the same, you know, Cars and Bids is to Doug DeMuro as Portland Food Adventures as is to write, is to write at the Fork. And he just sold Cars and Bids for $37 million, a piece of it, not the whole thing. And bought his Porsche Carrera. So it's a really interesting story to watch how it evolved. The explosion of just... He actually refers to uh, in the like 2005 when he took a picture of a car and was wondering, what, what do I need a picture for? What do I do with a digital picture? And now look where, what's going on with videos. Yeah. So he, he had a listener... Or no, a reader of his on Jalopnik say you should do videos. And again, he said, what, "What what use would anybody have for videos online?" And this was 2013. So mm. he started doing them, and now he's a he's a wealthy man with a Porsche Carrera, a Ford GT, Mercedes. He's got a huge car collection. He his channel includes, you know, drives with Jay Leno. And this is in, that's a pretty short period of time that he's developed all of this. And the other yeah. thing that's striking about him, Court, which is awesome, is he doesn't give a shit what he looks like at all. His hair is all over the place. He's unshaven. He's wearing t-shirts, shorts, and sneakers when he does these reviews. So it's really, it's kind of amusing. And if you're into cars at all, he does fantastic reviews. So that's a very long intro to this podcast but I just thought it was kind of of interest to people, even if they don't have interest in cars, just an entrepreneur doing something and one thing leads to another and you live your dream. So yeah, are you living your dream here? Are we living our dreams with right at the fork? Well, you know, I, I, I think about it, you know, as you were telling that story, because I think, you know, people oftentimes will go to podcasting or social media or influencer type stuff um, either by accident in terms of just following their passion and that's where they end up and that sounds like that's the the case for this guy he just kind of had a passion for something and one thing led to another and that's where we were and i would say the same for you chris because you know your story i see right at the fork is kind of an evolution of your portland food adventure story of you 
you know, coming to Portland and befriending chefs, sitting at the chefs' ca- tables and the counters, and and talking with them and creating your your events, and then eventually that segueing into taking some of those conversations with the chefs and putting them on a podcast. I mean, that's not exactly how it worked. There was oh. a little more design in the podcast, but but your passion comes from that. But you know what's interesting that you just mentioned, and I'm really glad you described that the way you did, because people look at me and say, oh, you are so into food. And it's like, not that. No, I was into the, I was impressed by chefs and the, the job people. they were doing and how talented yeah. they were, which results in excellent food, of course. But I'm not into food any more than most people are. I mean, I like to eat and I like good food. Who's going to say I don't like good food? So, uh, so mine was more about exactly what you're talking about, interaction with people and connecting with people. And, you know, that's also embodied itself in going to Europe with Portland chefs and food people and other people interested and hanging out and doing great food things in Europe. It's led to that. And I didn't plan any of this. I planned none of this. In fact, I know I've said it a few times when Heather invited me to audition to record this podcast in 2013. I literally, she invited me because of my connections, Not, not because I'm really good at this. And, but I found myself sitting behind the mic with headphones on and realizing, holy shit, this is what I, I used to watch the Knicks and the Mets and the Rangers and turn Marv Albert off and with a fake mic and, and broadcast the games. I wanted to be a sports announcer. I went to Syracuse University to major in communications, which at that time I don't think was such a bullshit um, major. <laughs> now, uh, right. So who knows? I don't know. But if you're going to Syracuse, you're kind of serious about communications rather than, you know, East Little Rock Community College. Nothing wrong with that. But, um, but Syracuse was a serious place when it came to that. But at any rate, that's where my interest is, is, um, you know, chatting with people and, and getting to know their backstories. So that's this. And that was Doug, man. He, he wasn't necessarily interested in cars as a little kid. He just stopped and saw a Porsche Carrera, a yellow Porsche Carrera in 2005 and felt the need to take a picture of it to show his friends. And that's where it yep. started. So I think it's yep. really cool. And I'm sorry if we've bored anybody, but I think it's an interesting story regarding media and what's out there and what people are interested in and i don't think i've ever told everybody what my real interests are here i interview people and find out what theirs are on the podcast and i don't think i've ever mentioned my have i mentioned my watches before I uh, yeah, yeah, I think you have a, a couple of times, and I'm trying to decipher whether those have been just comments to me. I, I think you have mentioned it. I, I would say this. If you're a hardcore right at the fork fan, and I'm sure there's just hundreds of those out there, um, that they've probably picked up, you know, subtle references or little references here and there to kind of piece together, you know. Who is Chris? Right. Um, but, uh, and it's not important, but it's just one of those little things that started with me when I was in fifth grade, I remember. And then my mom took me to Geneva just for watch trips. I can't remember what watches I had back then. But right. there is one cool story. Can I tell a cool story? Is this too long, Court? No, let's do it. Okay. So regarding watches, you know, I just got a book, A Man and His Watches, and it struck me that it was interesting, but I mean, most 80% of the stories on there were my dad had this watch and he gave it to me, which didn't happen 
with me, and that's not how my interest developed. But so this is kind of a fun story. So back in college, so this would take us back to <clears throat> 1980. Um, I uh, <laughs> I traded this Bulova watch, and I have no idea how I obtained it and why, but I had this Bulova watch that I traded for some kind of drugs. It may have been marijuana. It actually could have been quaaludes back then. And um, to my best friend, Dave. Um, So I owed him some money and I said, here, how about this watch? And so um, that was that. It sat for a while. We're still great friends. We talk a lot. He's comes and visited. So visits. So um, I don't know, six, seven years ago, he came and we were playing hearts and I beat him, and he pulled this watch out of the, his pocket, slammed it down on the table, and said, well, I think it's time you get this back. And I had completely forgotten about this watch. Well, as it turns out, now that I've been online checking out, you know, the watch world, I looked it up, and this Bulova Stars and Stripes Chronograph C was now worth selling in decent condition, like three thousand dollars it's crazy oh wow so i i found a guy in hillsborough who actually fixes watches up because the crystal was falling off and it was cracked and all that stuff and fixed it up and i love it and then they since bulova released a remake of that watch quartz edition that looks very much like it so i bought that for a couple hundred bucks uh i found a a good deal on one and that's the one that i wear i leave the one that's now valuable alone i'm not going to wear it out and smash it against doorknobs and stuff so right. i thought that's a pretty cool story to get a watch back after 35 years that you had and had forgotten about and now when your interest in watches becomes more pronounced you get it back and it means yeah. something so that's my good story holy shit that's long this is a long intro court should we actually well, put something? Should we say up front if you want to skip this? Nah, I, I think if people are smart enough, they'll just they'll just do it and they'll roll their eyes and they're like, "Oh, Chris is still talking about watches," and they'll just people are smart enough to do that. We don't need a we don't need to invite them to do it, Chris. Well, that's true. But, they'll go right by the commercials too, which is sure, which is appropriate. Yeah, they don't want to do that. Apropos for this particular podcast as well, but yeah. um, you know, some podcasts have those little breakpoints and they tell you where everything is. Um, we're not doing that because we want nah. you just to, this is a long form. If you're interested in quick bites, go to TikTok. This is not TikTok. There you go. So, um, all right. Speaking of quick bites, that's not what we're talking about today. A little longer relationship with your plate and your food would be Oregon Dungeness Crab. That's where we are today. And, um, Full disclosure, uh, they came to us uh, or their representatives and asked about sponsoring this podcast a while ago uh, during crab season. And so we're really proud and honored. We've always felt like the advertisers that we want on the podcast are those that we believe in and love and would endorse. And we've Mm -hmm. surely turned away quite a few interested parties along the way, but Oregon Dungeness Crab Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission was of interest, and so they're with us, thankfully, and we appreciate that. We also, I also thought at the time it would be interested to talk to someone about crab. So we 
came upon, or they suggested, Tim Novotny, uh, who's the executive director of the Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission. And he just took the position um, recently in January. He started, and he talks about that. And But he's been with the commission for a few years in another capacity in, in marketing and communications and comes from a background of journalism. So we talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, he had done stories on um, the Oregon coast and the food that comes from the Oregon coast for years. So he's he's well-rounded when it comes to the subject. And we thought it would be f- great to have someone talking about crab. After all, when you think about... When I moved here, I thought I'm going to be getting... Every restaurant is going to be a seafood restaurant. And I think people generally think that, you know, on the close to the coast in Portland. Not the case. It's not, Portland is not a seafood driven spot. Of course, you get it and there are seafood restaurants. But when people think about Oregon and indigenous food, right, what comes to mind? Are you, did you fall asleep? No. No, no, no. I just wanted to say, like, is this a trick question? <laughs> no. Yeah. So I think I would say crab, oysters, and, uh, of course, the food scene that we're covering. All of that. But in terms of one food, yeah, I think Oregon Dungeness Crab comes to mind. And so uh, we've been doing this podcast for, we're on our ninth year, and it's time to talk about crab. So let's do it. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. And by... In Oregon, flavor is not just about food, but about character, freshness, and sustaining this beautiful place. Our fishermen continue to work hard to bring that flavor to all families who care about good food and healthy eating. Oregon Dungeness Crab, the flavor of Oregon. Well, so we've got Tim Novotny here with me. I pronounced that correctly, correct? Yes, you did. Thank you. All right. It's not very hard. It's not, a t- it's <laughs> not one of the tough ones. No, it does uh, throw a lot of people, though. But. Does, well, it's incredible what throws people. But yeah. <laughs> what, are some of the, what are some of the pronunciations you've heard? Oh, the most obvious I get is uh, Novotoni. Uh, Novotoni. Yeah, which, uh, you know. There's a throws an extra e in there at the end, and uh, 
there's a, there's been a whole other uh i used to play uh, little league baseball and the announcers there i think i heard about 20 different variations of it back then uh uh, Nevada Nowani, uh, some was one that I don't even know what that one is, but Nova Tony is probably the one that they get the most wrong. But, uh, did it, did it motivate you to, uh, to do a better job hitting or did it not, does it not matter? Uh, it got to a point where it didn't matter, you know, it started out as motivational. And then after a while, it was just uh, actually a curiosity. I kind of came to the plate waiting to see what they were going to come up with and, Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I guess the reason I asked is I was just watching a, a new document documentary last night on Dionne Warwick, and she said, I don't care what you say about me, just spell my name right. So <laughs> in this case, it would be pronounce it, right, pronounce it correctly. So, there you um, go. At any rate, I'm sorry for using up a whole minute on that, <laughs> at least. That's all right. We have a lot to talk about this morning. It's a pleasure to join you. You're with us from Coos Bay, Oregon. I think probably the first out of over 300 guests on the podcast to be from Coos Bay. Well, I'm and honored to represent the South Coast. Yes, Coos Bay yeah. is a wonderful area, so uh, and it's full of uh, uh, great, uh, great visit, uh, great tourism locations, and great seafood like Oregon Dungeness crab. So not far down the road was in 2003. I had done the second of my two, you, you might appreciate this based on what you was in your bio, two uh, nationwide baseball trips with my sons. We went to almost every Major League Baseball park. Of course, nice. that has nothing to do with Oregon. But we were on our way from um, San Diego up to Seattle, actually Victoria, that trip. And I fell in love in Bandon with where I was and thought, mm, I could move here from Connecticut. And we did. So, yeah, the South Coast is just absolutely special. You could take every section, South, Mid, uh, Central, and North, and make a case for that they would be the best, and I think that's a healthy thing. You really could. They each have their own appeal and their own uh, high points. And, and uh, you know, from my standpoint with the uh, with the commission, uh, they all have their great restaurants. And, and uh, we have a fun time uh, getting out and experimenting because, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I tell my wife it's work related. I have to be able to tell people where the best seafood places are. So I got to try them out. So <laughs> it's a, not well, a bad you know, part of the gig. <clears throat> Usually we end the podcast with that sort of question, but as long as we're on that topic, can you point out a few favorite spots? And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disclaim it for you, that perhaps you can't think of every single place. So if you leave anything out, it's just due to your gray hair and your memory. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but no, so what are, your, what are your, some of your... Uh, I have mine. I don't necessarily know that I'm using crab as the criteria. But um, I'd like to hear some of your crab criteria, best restaurants. Well, um, yeah. And, you know, some of them, like, well, one of the ones, uh, one of the ones down here that I first, uh, was one of the first eye openers for me for crab was a place uh, out in Charleston at the Port of Coos Bay. Uh, it's called the Portside Restaurant, and they do an appetizer related to Dungeness crab. They do fried crab legs. And uh, usually we tell people not to, you know, try to enjoy crab in the 
in the purest form, but one of the great things about Dungeness crab is that you can do so many different things with it. And while they deep fry it, and they, you know, they don't do it heavy deep fry, but they do a deep fried uh, Dungeness crab leg uh, appetizer dish, and uh, it's just outstanding. And that was one of the things where I really, when I first moved here, you know, over 20 years ago, uh, as not much of a seafood lover at that time, uh, just fell in love with it. Uh, through those uh, fry legs so the port side's one place um, and then uh, where I really got into some of the other uh, crab dishes but also some of the other seafood dishes all the way around the the block or, uh, you know as uh, you know up in Newport there's a variety of different seafood but uh, uh, local ocean um, and uh, clear water a couple of really good choices uh, right down in in the old town area of, of Newport and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try to think of some others uh, 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 as I'm as I'm going, and it's unfortunately we haven't been able to get out lately. So um, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to doing as as we uh, start to get back into some semblance of uh, normalcy around the office and getting out of the office to do meetings and expos and stuff like that. Is to try to find what places uh, are still out there and maybe what new places are out there that I can try. I think we're I think we're there where you can start getting out. Um, I'd like to think that we're sort of putting this behind us now, um, but no. So I have uh, local ocean for a long time. I don't know if I still say it, and it's not because it's got it's it's always fantastic. I used to say, and I went to a lot of Portland restaurants and certainly doing business and. Uh, and promoting a lot of Portland restaurants. I used to say Local Ocean might have been my favorite restaurant in Oregon. Just because of the... the when I used to say it when you could sit at the chef's counter and watch them cook. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that the food isn't any... Is, is still as great. And the vibe with the bay right outside is fantastic too but that's when i used to just really get into watch, watching enrique and before that charlie um do do their things there um it was pretty great and i have another favorite spot that i don't know if you've been to um which is south beach fish market down there right over the the place with all the signs out front i have not been there personally other than uh just by reputation of talking to a lot of folks but yeah it's another another uh, highly reputable uh uh great reputation place and uh, i look forward to trying to uh, put that on my docket once once we're back hitting the meetings that we used to uh you know presume when we'd get out and have to do them in in uh, person up and down the coast and we're going to be back doing that pretty soon that's that's worth it. I do. I've done plenty of day trips from Manzanita down there, <clears throat> and it's completely worth it. I mean, you know, it's two and a half hour drive from here. It's five hours to eat, but you know, there are worse things in the world than seeing the Oregon coast for five hours while you're just <laughs> filling your day with with that. But they uh, they have the best. I think the best fish and chips anywhere. So. I don't. I won't necessarily vouch for the. I'm sure the crab is good. They got a huge steamer out front. I think I've had the crab sandwich once, but the fish and chips there is fantastic. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. The fried crab legs. How do they do those? Boy, are they? Yeah. Is, does it involve a shell, or do they take them out? No, they manage take, to take them. They take them out of the shell. They take them out, and uh, you can buy them. Um, you know, there's a, uh, a lot of these restaurants, they can get them from the processors, uh, uh, 
uh, we get them uh, to take them on the road to when, like in a few, uh, well, it's getting closer and closer. It's about a month away we go to the Boston Seafood Expo, and we'll take those fry legs uh, in, uh, pre-picked from uh, the processor but uh, you can buy them in in bulk from the processor just the fry leg part and so they'll and, get them and they're prob- big enough chunks to fry and not oh overdue. yeah they get them that's the it's the big bicep part of the uh right of the leg and they'll get them in a in uh they can they get them in five pound tins uh and so you can buy a bulk order in those five pound tins Oh, that sounds that sounds fantastic. Now, I'm a little embarrassed to th- to even mention are they in the shells because I know that, but you know, there's soft shell crab on the East Coast. We get plenty right. of that, and um, you know, I just couldn't envision how you would do that because one of my things about crab, and I love it, but I'm a lobster guy from the mm-hmm. East Coast, right? So I love a lobster. I can tell you whenever you're going to the East Coast, where to get the best lobster rolls which i would assume you would enjoy um but one of the things i like about lobster is it's just a little faster easier to eat and the crab takes i love the fact that that could come in a tin and i can just pick it out and eat it but it would go too fast (laughs) um but sometimes you know my only gripe about crab sometimes is just how long you have to invest to sit down and eat (laughs) or to make crab cakes i i've done that once i went um I went fishing off of, uh, crabbing off of Garibaldi, and uh, I think it took me three hours to make crab cakes for me and my kids, just picking the meat out. So uh, maybe at some point, um, I can find somebody to teach me how to do it, clean them a little faster and get the meat out that would be great yeah well you know we actually uh, and yeah we can show you i mean we we uh um, well me we I, I i'm used to saying we because uh for up until december we were a three-person office uh, my my boss recently retired but uh i try i'll try to get out when we can uh, we used to get out to the schools and show the uh, high school culinary classes how to uh how to uh, how to uh, uh, get the meat out of the sections um, quickly, and it, it goes pretty. It can go pretty quick. Um, and, and I'm not a I'm not a pro by any means. Uh, I've seen the pros, and I and they put me to shame. But uh, there's little tricks to the trade. You know, you get the you get the uh, the section. You know, so you get that section with the shoulders on it and the legs, and mm-hmm. you start mm-hmm. by uh, by kind of just kneading in that shoulder part with your fist a little bit just crunching it down and then Mm -hmm. you take the uh, legs like a handle and you bash the uh, bash it against a metal bowl and all the meat will shake right out into the bowl and then uh, once you've got that you break the legs off and then you kind of just do a quick uh, with uh, the metal end of the knife you just kind of loosen the shell right along each leg and it peels mm-hmm. off pretty quick, and then they just start peeling that out. And it, you can get those out in about uh, five ten minutes. Uh, oh, baby, that's start- what I was going to ask you. What a good what a good time would be for that, and that is a good time because the payoff is fantastic. It is, and uh, and then we, you know, one of my favorite recipes, uh, you know, uh, about the only one I can make myself is uh is a crab melt we do that every christmas eve you know and you get that crab meat and i I actually don't even i'll i'll even pay the extra to have uh uh fishmonger uh do the work and and i'll go buy crab meat you know pay a little extra per pound come back with the crab meat uh and then it's already picked and everything i bring that home 
and mix it up with uh, a little bit of mayo, throw some chives and, and some, uh, um, a little bit of celery, maybe some onion stuff, you know, a little bit in there, mix it up and then, uh, toast some, uh, English muffins, throw that on there, melt some cheese on top under a broiler for about two minutes and it's ready to go. So real, real quick and easy once once you got that down. That would be good because I'm uh, one of my staples is a tuna melt on an English muffin with Swiss cheese. Had it last night, as a matter of fact, and subbing crab for that would be a really nice. Would be a good way to go. Nice, yeah. So, uh, are there videos put out by the commission on perhaps how to how to do that? How to pick the meat out faster? We're working on that. Um, we do have some. I'm trying to think if we've got that online. We do have some on our on our website. Um, if you go to OregonDungeness.org and you go to up in the upper right corner, there's a menu and there's a uh, section called uh, uh, promotional materials. Might even say videos, but it uh, promotional materials um, section has a, a list of some videos where um, it's got some commercials. It's also got some uh, appearances that we've made on uh, shows. And uh, uh, there should be some in there. But if there aren't yet, keep an eye out because we'll be adding those as we go through this new year, which will include anything that we get to talk about um, on shaking because we're working on some of those. uh, uh, That's one of the biggest questions we get asked is showing people how to uh, shake the meat. And uh, we want to work with... uh, uh, either one of those shows to produce some new uh, videos on how to shake the meat, or we're going to work with one of our creative partners on building that out. But we're going to get that up on our on our website, so be looking for it. Great. So as it turns out, you just began your job, and you are the third person in the history of the Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission to head it up. Is that correct? Well, uh, there's there were maybe one or two others in the history that we've been around since 1977, but I'm the third since 1990. That just kind of shows you the kind of, uh, um, consistency and, and, uh, you know, the length they look that once they get there, they, they tend to stick around. I'm hoping to be as, uh, uh, you know, have the similar longevity as the, uh, my predecessors have had, um, but they, they get there and they kind of, uh, have a tendency to, to make this a, a career and and so it's uh you know some some big footprints that i'm stepping into with my my two predecessors nick Furman and hugh link and i took over on uh january 2nd so uh you know hopefully um hopefully i'll have a a, a similar size run and and can do as uh, as solid a job as they did because they left their mark for sure on the industry and you have uh, an interesting background coming into that job. It's you weren't necessarily a, a crabber um, coming in. Your uh, your the m- main part of your background that I can see is in journalism, <laughs> and so you've written about you've written a lot about crab and the coast and fishing off the coast, and uh, of course, as a journalist, you have to look at some of the issues. And now your job. You really have to look at some of the issues. What are some of the things that you are planning on tackling right now? You know, you started a month ago, but you prob- you knew you were coming into the job for a little bit. What are some of the things that you were planning on taking care of or some of your first projects? Well, you know, that, uh, you know, 
just to kind of give you that kind of uh, maybe the reasoning why you know that uh, you're absolutely correct. You know Nick Furman, who started in '90. Uh, you know he worked on fishing boats, and he then went through. Uh, uh, you know the sales part of of the industry before becoming a commissioner, and and Hugh Link went up through the uh, uh, the the sales part and the processing uh, sector before becoming uh, the executive director of the commission, and uh, you know and, and I was uh, uh, it came up through uh, journalism, both broadcast print journalism, covering the industry and uh, seeing uh, uh, the rise of some of the challenges and, and talking extensively with both of those gentlemen before working with, with Hugh and the communication side. And then, uh, you know, working, um, getting uh, trained in the uh, preceding few years before joining in both uh, marketing and, and advertising. And uh, the challenges had changed, I think, uh, a little bit for uh, there were always challenges with the industry, but they were growing um, exponentially in, in recent years. And I think what the uh, commission uh, members were realizing was that, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the wealth of knowledge of the industry, which would have been nice to have, um, was not necessarily as important as a, an ability to handle the uh, getting the message out and, and being able to advocate and, and relay the message of the fishermen to various stakeholders on the various challenges that were being faced, uh, such challenges such as offshore wind um and the i don't know hope you can't hear the dog that's now barking in the background but oh, that's uh, fine he's just agreeing with you and he wants he's just <laughs> cheerleading for you to, to to handle those he's advocating too but you know we're we're facing uh uh you know challenges to our our resource of where we're able to fish and how we're able to fish um you know uh, whale mitigation uh whale entanglement risk mitigation uh, offshore wind, uh, sea otter reintroduction, uh, challenges of a changing ocean with uh, demoic acid, with hypoxia, uh, and and being able to be able to uh, uh, deliver messages while at the same time continuing to enhance the image of, of Dungeness Crab to our consumers to create new uh, Dungeness Crab fans to continue to um, market, but at the same time... Uh, to uh, uh, get the message to legislators, to continue to get the message to the various agencies we work with. And so uh, having a, a, a communications uh, background was was a, a increasing importance. And so um, I think that made the time right for, for someone like me to, uh, to have a go at the executive director role. And, and I... Uh, uh, again, uh, have a, a tremendous amount of respect for uh, for the fishermen that I am uh, am representing. Um, I've uh, watched them and uh, covered them for over twenty years. Uh, I'm you know just in awe of the job they do, of the processors that we work with, and uh, and I'm passionate about uh, you know being able to tell their story in whatever form I have to tell that, whether it's uh, you know, in, in podcasts like this or uh, going out and trying to find new uh, fans of Dungeness Crab or whether it's protecting our, our industry from, uh, you know, whatever uh, uh, potential threats are there to uh, 
to keep our uh, grounds uh, where they're at or uh, to maintain a, a sustainable fishery from uh, changing forces of nature. So whatever that may be, that's what I'm charged with doing. That's what I'll do to the best of my ability. Will you be spending a lot of time, I mean, I don't know if you'll be up there, but in Salem, and do you have experience uh, in politics and lobbying and that sort of thing? Because I would think that's a lot of what you what you just mentioned. It's going to take a lot of lobbying and, and a lot of um, advocating uh, mm-hmm. to accomplish. You know, consumers can eat more crab. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what else they can do other than tell their friends about it <laughs> and and eat more. But in terms of uh, you know what your mission is, as you mentioned, is to to promote uh, co- consumption of it, but also to take care of a lot of the environmental issues. And I bet you they're vast right now, and they're changing all the time. The environmental issues they are, and and uh, you know I I don't have a professional background in in the lobbying sector, and it's. And that's not necessarily directly related, per se, to our our mission, although we have had uh, lobbyists uh, work for the commission in the past. And uh, it seemed like everybody I knew related to uh, uh, our commission recently retired, such was uh, the case with our lobbyist as well, right before uh, my uh, predecessor retired. So, uh, you know, we're... uh, we're going to be going through that part of it as well. We need to uh, we need to strengthen our our lobbying efforts because that's going to be a, a one of the that is you know one of the jobs that's going to, or one of the tasks that's going to fall to me in my new job is to uh, strengthen our our lobbying efforts. Um, I do have uh, you know one of the benefits of of the previous job that I I held as a as a broadcast and print journalist is that I do have a lot of contacts in the political realm so uh, while not technically a lobbyist I do have a, a lot of contacts uh, that I can draw on to uh, uh, try to stay abreast of things and try to deliver our message uh, in that route but uh, on a uh, true lobbying basis um, that needs to be handled in a uh, uh, more professional day-to-day basis and so that's something that we'll have to uh take care of and and everything has to be taken care of because we're uh, uh under the umbrella of the oregon department of agriculture has to be taken care of in in uh, the way of the state so you know we have to go and, and follow uh, uh certain protocol and so that's uh everything has to be done in in certain steps so we tried to do that uh last year uh tried to get a lobbyist as as the other one was retiring and and it um, it got kind of intermixed with our marketing uh, uh, request for bid, and we didn't get the uh, re- response for the uh, lobbyist bid that we uh, we had had hoped for. And so we'll be going. Uh, I would anticipate we will be going through that again at some point in uh, in this calendar year. Hey, Chris, let's pause a moment and talk about Oregon Dungeness Crab. It's a favorite dish at holiday gatherings, special occasions, or just when you're in the mood for the sweet, delicate deliciousness you can only get from Oregon's tastiest crustacean. It's harvested sustainably from Oregon's cold, clean coastal waters and is available now at your favorite seafood retailer or restaurant. Oregon Dungeness serves up 
equally as an appetizer or an entree and lends itself to both down home and white tablecloth cuisine. And it's also as nutritious as it is tasty. We know it's tasty. A three ounce portion of cooked meat has 19 grams of protein and contains important minerals and amino acids. It's low in both fat and calories as well as cholesterol and carbohydrates. That's important to me. Yeah. And rest assured, the fishermen are not just delivering a delicious and healthy product. They're also taking care of natural resources for future generations. Visit OregonDungeness.org for information on preparing your favorite crab dish and learning more about the fleet. So go ahead and crack the mystique. Oregon Dungeness Crab, the flavor of Oregon. So what's the most pressing issue for you right now? When you when you wake up, um, what is the thing that you need to get, you want to handle first and foremost? Boy, right now it's just getting past this start of this season, <laughs> to be honest with you. This season has been, uh, the start of this season has been um, uh, one of the bigger challenges, uh, it, it, certainly the biggest challenge to the start of a season in, in my short career with the commission uh, i joined even though my uh season or my start ha- as executive director began in january I, I joined the commission in uh 2017 in october um and every year has been uh, a slightly different challenge in its own way but uh this has been uh um above and beyond uh challenging and uh talking to uh, some of our uh uh, long-term fishermen uh, who have been on the water 40, 50 years, they they talk about it as being uh, a challenge that they haven't seen in uh, at least 40 years. And so, so what is the, what's the specific challenge for the uninitiated? For the uninitiated, um, we have had issues uh, relate, related to testing. We had issues with uh, well either so- what we call meat fill or could be soft shell uh, some of the area was not ready to start on time we we have a uh, an early start date uh, December 1st is, <coughs> excuse me is the earliest we can start um, and uh, we really have seen the season get delayed for one reason or another eight of the last nine years uh, but this year was a variety of different things. It, it started breaking in different areas. So some areas of the state were ready to go uh, oh, right away. Other areas of the state were delayed for uh, meat fill. Other areas of the state were getting delayed because we had issues of uh, a uh, naturally occurring biotoxin called domoic acid, which has started to show up more and more in, in the last uh, four or five years. Uh, related to warmer water conditions and we get into um, different zones kind of overlapping a little bit this year uh, that was impacting what areas were open what areas were closed one area opened uh, because of the uh, center part of the state getting opened at one point and then one section got closed right literally two days or three days after it opened because of uh, uh, demoic acid uh, or it it was partially closed. We have an order of evisceration where you can um, 
you can keep the area open as long as you take it to a, a licensed processor that will eviscerate the crab. But all of that then plays into whether the processors will buy the crab, whether they have an interest in buying eviscerated crab. Um, that plays into a pricing thing, which uh, our commission, I, you know, I need to say, doesn't uh, play a role in the starting season price. Um, and, you know, other than we try to drive the, the, the enhance the image of the crab so that the, uh, uh, the demand is there, but uh, we don't play a, a role in how they set the season price. But the season price came uh, into play as to last year having the highest starting price in our history. Uh, this year was uh, one of the lowest prices we've seen in about 10, 11 years. And why is that? What 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 was that? It's you started late, so I would imagine. I one would think that it would drive the price up a little bit because there'd be demand. Every year, there's a lot of different factors that factor into price. It's always hard to try to uh, narrow it down to one or two things. Um, as near as we could tell, uh, some of the things that we were hearing, you know, there were uh, maybe uh, crab still left uh due to the inflation uh that uh you know we were we had a lot of crab come in last year uh that uh uh was priced pretty high on the on the market and then the inflation hit and it kind of sat there sat in the freezers and uh and so when the season started and it looked like there was crab out there uh that uh there was uh, maybe uh, not as much of a or concern that there wasn't going to be as much of a demand. Inflation was still uh, a talking point. Crab was still uh, in on hand for the processors, so the saying was going, and so uh, that was driving the price down. And then, uh, if you have areas that they weren't going to take whole cooks or they weren't buying live because there were orders of evisceration due to concerns over the demoic acid that was also a concern driving prices down so um, then that became an issue for uh, for the fishermen um, and who had already been waiting to get get the season started for you know you know six week seven week delay uh, what are they do? What are they doing while there's a delay? For six, this is what they do for a living, and are they just? They must be champing at the bit. They're yeah, to to say the least. A lot of them are calling me, <laughs> so um, you know they. The, uh, uh, in some ways, they're used to because recent years have been like this. So a lot of them have made different. Uh, have you know have made different preparations you know they either continue to fish another species later or they you know have uh, um, just decided you know we're not going to call in our workers till later you know we'll let them do whatever else they're doing uh, but you know last year they were kind of doing the same thing and got caught flat-footed when everything opened everything fell into the line real quick and they had and we did start december 1st so uh but this year you know everybody we were talking to folks and we were going through the testing and and a lot of the guys that we were trying to get to help us out on the testing you know didn't have the the blocks on to uh, to go out and pull pots because they were still 
you know, uh, out doing uh, other species and, and uh, you know, uh, figuring we weren't going to go anytime soon. So they were they were out doing other things. And uh, and then it got to this, you know, they were constantly calling and, and trying to decide, like, are we... Uh, uh, are we are we going to go or are we not going to go cuz they like you said they got to let the guys on their boat make some money somewhere so that they have them when the crab season finally does roll around it gets to be a very difficult situation the longer it goes it gets very and it gets harder and harder for the fishery managers to try to make a decision on how to how to start the season and and when to start the season and uh this year has just been uh, been very difficult all the way around so do the fishermen, do they generally make a good living or is it just getting harder and harder? And then, of course, they've got all the, it sounds like they have contract workers on the boats with them, from what you're saying. And I guess those folks can do other things and then just be ready to go. But is it a good living? Well, it can be. Uh, you know, it's, as we say, it's, you know, we have 423 uh, permitted boat owners uh or permitted boats and you know they're basically 423 small businesses everybody has uh different business plans uh the you know the crab season's just part of the bigger picture for everybody they 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 are fishing year round uh um and is they come in do crab some of them will do crab for the whole you know we go until mid-august some of them will come in later in the season if they're smaller boat owners some of them will the bigger boat owners will come in at the start of the season and and uh do all their business in, in four six weeks and then they're on to another fishery um but you know they they can make a, a decent living in a in a normal year um but it's uh you know it can also if they have one or two bad years it it can put them out of business uh and so uh it's a it can be high risk high reward uh and at the same time for others it can be you know just uh, a slog year in year out uh you know a lot of money goes into the boats and upkeep and um uh, keeping their people employed and you know and so it it can be a good living it can be a hard living it can be rewarding living um every like i said with so many different vessels you can get a different story with almost every different uh boat that you talk to that's that's a show and a podcast unto itself it is it's one of the things that i stories yeah it's one of those things that i uh, I try to keep in mind, you know, when we have, like last year, when we had a record-breaking year in terms of ex-vessel value, it was an it was a record-breaking year for the industry, and no doubt some of the guys had a, had a great year, but it didn't mean that everybody had a great year. There, there could have been some guys that did not, even though we had that great uh, amount brought in, there could still have been guys that didn't have a great year, and uh, it's very hard to try to uh, relay that while at the same time trying to tout the the success of the industry, which was overall all successful last year, but may not have been for everybody. Yeah, you know, I feel I the last few years I have um, been I don't I don't know if the word is empathetic, but just more aware. Where I live, I can see the fishing boats out at night. Like you know, I on it, from my bedroom I can see fishing boats and. That could be at three in the morning, and I'm thinking, oh my god, that's that's not an easy 
task out there, and we're not talking about you know birds tweeting and the the sun and moon. I mean, the moon and the stars. Uh, twinkling over you. The seas are rough. The winds are terrible. It could be raining like crazy. It's not an easy living. And, uh, and I feel for these people. So um, they bring in great product. Is there, is there an area, uh, what area of the Oregon coast produces the most crab? What's the best area? Uh, right. It seems to, you know, it can, it can vary in decades, but right now, uh, Right now, it seems like probably off the central coast is is probably doing our best. Uh, the last four or five years, anyway, uh, Newport seems to be uh, leading the way in terms of of landings. Um, Astoria uh, can be right up there with them. Uh, Coos Bay, Port of Coos Bay, has probably been a solid third, but uh, you know, you look back over the years, there's been times where you know, a story is led or, or Coos Bay's even had some runs. Brookings says times where they've had some, some runs. Um, but right now, uh, consistently the last five years, it's, it's been Newport. Oh, and there's some good product down there, as you mentioned. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, what is your, well, you don't know. It's hard to ask you, well, you, you observed the job. What do you think your favorite part of the job is going to be and i guess it's not fair to ask you a month in or because you're promoting the the commission to ask you what your what maybe you won't be your favorite part of your job the <laughs> least favorite part of the job uh you know my well my favorite part of the job is uh you know is getting out to um be uh handing out product to handing out to especially first time you know try or people who haven't a, a good history of of dungeness crab who who either have had crab or they weren't sure it was dungeness crab and and they come by like you know in december most decembers there's a crab day at the uh, uh oregon aquarium in newport uh we also go uh, a lot of times we're getting ready to go to the portland seafood wine festival and and so we get uh, some crab product to uh to folks there and and so uh a, a great joy of mine is when we're able to tell people a little bit about it and we're here this is Oregon Dungeness crab give it a try and not everybody you know it's not a universally loved thing but more often than not uh it's got a very high success rate and i would you, imagine i would imagine i don't know many people who say i don't like it no it's really not and and especially if it's a younger uh person to see their eyes light up you know and be like and you know you just made a, a crab fan for life right there and uh and maybe even a seafood fan you know maybe somebody who wasn't even that big into seafood because all they've had is you know uh, fish sticks and fried food off of the frozen food section and they're like i'm not that big into seafood and you give them some fresh uh, uh fresh fry leg and they take a take a bite and you see their eyes light up and you go that that's that's the favorite part that's what i like and then uh you know the, the hard part is just uh you know what we're in right now which is this cycle of of just seeing challenges uh around you know every corner um it seems like, uh, you know, I, I, I used to kid, uh, prior to his retirement, I used to kid my boss, um, when they hired me, one of the reasons they said, well, we're hiring you because 
you know, we're, we're trying to do this, uh, we're trying to do this thing. We're going for, uh, certification. We once were, uh, MSC certified Marine Stewardship Council certified on our own. We decided to let it lapse and now we were going to go for it again. We're still in that process. But he said, uh, we got a couple other challenges and so we need to bring in a, uh, an assistant and a communications manager because we got these two other challenges. And I, and I said, oh, okay, great. You know, it, at that time we had these two other challenges and then in the last couple of years, I said, you know, when you hired me, there were two other challenges and we've done nothing but add like a challenge a year since then. I said, <laughs> we're up to like six challenges now. I said, you know, you can stop any time. Or, <laughs> and, uh, well, tell the crab that. Tell the crab that. Yeah, exactly. The They're more in control. <laughs> exactly. You know, so on the good, on the good side, the, uh, the industry has been continued to show its sustainability. We continue to have the numbers of landings stay uh in in uh, the numbers uh that we've seen over the last 10 20 years have have stayed fairly steady and our demand has continued to uh to march upward and uh and, and so we you know uh, are tremendously thankful uh as a commission i think as an industry it's not lost on us that um you know we have we have a very strong uh, support base out there that has uh, has been with us, and we continue to ask them to to stay with us through thick and thin, and uh, appreciate all of our fans out there who who enjoy Oregon Dungeness crab. Well, speaking of fans, um, what percentage of uh, the product is exported, and what percentage of your time do you spend out of state? I remember. I guess it was the late 90s, early 2000s. I lived not far from a seafood restaurant in uh, Connecticut. They had three called the Chowder Pot. And I believe they were the highest volume restaurants in the state. And I will never forget where, uh, out of the blue, all of a sudden they got some Dungeness crab. And they, they, they got it imported. And they made such a big deal out of it. Now, I'd never heard of it. So at the time, and, you know, I think this is before a lot of the food shows and a lot of awareness about food. And, you know, maybe I just wasn't aware, but it was new to me. And I'm curious as to, you know, how much of your focus is out of state, because in state, it's you're going to find a lot of people who already love it out of state. You can find there's a there's a lot of opportunity for people who perhaps never had it before. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I think the rise of the food shows has helped out a lot. Um, we have, you know, it's hard to pin down a number. I, you know, I think at one point I had heard me, you know, this was five years ago. Uh, I, and that's probably fluctuated a lot. I, you know, I think we'd heard somewhere around 25, maybe 30% that went out of state, um, and that's probably more than that. Uh, I mean, that was probably overseas, but it's, it's very hard for us as a commission to pin it down because, uh, a lot of the businesses, I mean, they, they like to be proprietary. They like to keep things close to the vest. Um, and, and because we're not the only game in town, you know, Washington, there's Washington, California, and, uh, you know, British Columbia has Dungeness. So, you know, it's hard to go, well, there's, we see there's a Dungeness, uh, they're, they're doing a big Dungeness, uh, uh, deal in South Carolina, you know, at one point we're like, well, that could be, you know, it could be us. We, we were doing some, uh, advertising there. Uh, but it might not, it could be Washington or it could be, you know, British Columbia or something. But, uh, and you know, it's, 
not necessarily you know easiest to get some numbers out of those folks because you know they don't want to necessarily really uh, start sharing what they're all doing but um but i think do you have an idea how do you have an idea how that breaks down on the four the, those four markets you just uh, states and we, provinces that we've you just mentioned not you know the, the latest um from uh, I think it was from Tradex. Uh, that was probably the last numbers that we saw. Uh, we were doing, I think we were doing just a, a nudge above. Uh, we were right. Hand, I think we were kind of hand in hand with uh, with Washington at the last one. California's come down a bit because of uh, they've had some shortened seasons lately. It used to be California was was pretty big, and but they in the last two three seasons uh have had their seasons shortened quite a bit because of uh, their uh issues with uh, uh trying to avoid uh, whale entanglement and so they have uh have had and some other issues with uh testing and and so forth so they've had some really short seasons and that has limited their output and actually has might have resulted from some extra crab uh, of ours being exported into California just to try to cover some of uh, um, some of their production, but uh, is most of is most of their production in the northern part of the state? And then I would, as a layperson, say if you're if it's in the northern part of the state, you're not getting the the opportunity for fresh crab right out of the ocean onto the plate is a slower process because the major markets aren't in Northern California other than getting it down to San Francisco. But other than San Francisco, there's smaller cities up there. Right. And, and they do, <coughs> excuse me, they do have, um, uh, the, I think the majority of their production used to be all in the North. They, they had a, a smaller, um, for a long time, they had a smaller fishery in the, uh, in the bay and then it uh it kind of really exploded you, you know maybe uh 10 15 years ago i had a, I had a monster year out there and then that kind of started to switch things and started to have a bigger uh footprint there um but uh they've, they've had such they've had kind of some rough issues in the north just trying to you know either trying to get things going with testing or again with the uh um in the last five years with the uh, shortened season but uh, again with right in terms of you're exactly right in terms of trying to get it straight out and, and onto the onto the shore but uh, they do pull a lot of numbers in and and get them into the fishery into the uh, processing sector um, but uh, uh, their numbers definitely not probably where they should be just in terms of uh, uh, because of the handcuffs that they've had put on them recently with some of the uh, agreements that have been put in place all right chris we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat ringside steakhouse right for over it says on their website over 78 years i'm thinking we're getting close to 80 it might be over 79 years for ringside steakhouse there are very few restaurants i can only think of a couple in Portland that can claim that banner, having been here through thick and thin, 
for many years. Ringside is, of course, a um, a hallmark when it comes for occasions, business meetings, or even uh, if you're just looking for great service and a great night out. It's ringside. And of course, you can't go wrong on Monday nights with their three-course prime rib dinner. Um, that includes, obviously, uh, the best prime rib in town. And also, of course, you get uh, you know other things that go along with it, which includes that creme brulee for dessert. Right. And I think their Yorkshire pudding, which is fantastic as well. Oh, yeah. I'm going to suggest that if anybody hasn't had enjoyed Wagyu steak, they check out Ringside and look at their offerings there. Um, yes, it's a premium experience, but it's well worth it if you're a steak lover and want to try something out of the ordinary. Ringside does uh, a fantastic job sourcing their Wagyu beef from Japan. And speaking of out, Chris, we should point out that uh, may- maybe one of the great things that might have come from the pandemic is that takeout is still available at Ringside Steakhouse, something that wasn't available before the pandemic. Right. You can order it up to an hour ahead of time, up until 9 p.m. You just uh, go to the Ringside's website, order a fantastic meal to enjoy at home. It'll be better than whatever you have planned and pick it up an hour later. And on the website, Chris, we should also point out that's where you can make reservations or make those reservations through the Open Table app. Is there anything specific to Oregon Dungeness Crab that makes it even more special, other than it's from the great state of Oregon? <laughs> but is there is there anything specific in terms of uh, size, flavor? Uh, in this part of the geography or this you part know, of the terrain? We talked about, we've talked about that before. It's hard to say, you know, um, colder water, I think, is better for, for the Dungeness crab. Um, we've talked about that with some of the, some of the chefs, some of the, uh, some of the processors and, and, uh, you know, it helps them, um, kind of fill out and, uh, and, you know, all along the coast you get that in different areas but we've been uh we've had uh, you know some really good luck with that you know lately especially from uh, a majority of our coast up uh from uh on central part up uh we we haven't had the issues with the algae blooms and and so forth which tend to be in warmer water so um we've been really really getting good with the uh uh, with the big hefty crab that, and that again that that we've been seeing this year uh, the crab that have been landed have been large you know big well filled out large crab uh, and uh, and those tend to be you know you get them big well filled out crab they they have that extra uh, I don't know that kind of sweet salt taste uh, that that the Dungeness are known for you know and and so uh i think so i mean uh again that's what i'm paid to do so it's, it's but yeah. don't take my word for it go out and buy some and, and tell us tell us yourself what you think but i no i i think uh you know we are blessed to have a, a really good uh you know naturally cold water climate off here that uh so far we've been blessed to keep that way and that's what we're working, you know, that's why we work with the researchers to try to do what we can to uh, uh, to see what we can do to, to keep it that way uh, as well. Uh, anything that they suggest that we can, 
but it's also one of the concerns we have when we see things like these uh, uh, increased levels of, of Demoic that's, that puts something on our plate to, that needs to be taken care of. And just to be clear, no one's going to be consuming that because that's all taken care of. That's why it's a challenge to you. Right. Ex- so, exactly. Uh, it, you know, yeah. And thank you, Chris. That's, those are all taken care of through the testing, through the uh, evisceration orders, if it gets to that. We have a uh, we have a, a, a very uh, exhaustive test process, um, so much so that you know we're you know left wondering at times. Are, you know, are we uh, ha- you know when was the last time we we double checked this? Are we doing this uh, the right amount of times? Are we doing this too much? Because uh, you know we're test we we test. Uh, at times, uh, you know, it seems to where we just got done testing one area and we're back testing the very next week, even though the numbers have come down. And so we're like, are we, are we doing this? We want to, we want to test out of an overabundance of caution. We just don't want to handcuff our industry in the process, but we, at the same time, want our consumers to know that we have them in the forefront. We have our fishermen in the forefront. We're just trying to make sure, uh, that, the industry is able to thrive, but at the same time, uh, the product is uh, completely safe and uh, and ready for market when it gets there. Um, I was curious. You mentioned the uh, whales before whale entanglement. Um, as a as someone who's you know been a journalist and obviously um, involved with things on the coast, why have we on the north coast been seeing some beached whales lately what's going on there i know i'm asking you because people have asked me as though i know because <laughs> i live out here i don't know that's a that's a good one and i've asked them that too uh none of those had anything to do with entanglement uh i do know that because we checked in on that um and that uh, you know if there was one silver lining to something that didn't go wrong so far it was that uh, it didn't have anything to do with us um but what's causing it that's still a concern we want we would like to find out uh, we've noticed uh, somebody had contacted us and said there were um issues with uh i think that was on the east coast uh, with some whales where there may have been some uh cable arrays that had been uh and i don't have first-hand knowledge so i'm even as a journalist i'm loath to tread on secondhand knowledge but uh things that were maybe they were getting uh, confused and and getting their uh inner navigation off and then losing track of where they were going for food and and ultimately uh beach ended up getting beached and so uh it, there's there's so many different theories right now and that's just a that's just another theory un, unproven at this point but that was just one other thing to th- to throw out there as to uh you know, is that something? And those are the kind of things that I then bring up when I ask those questions is it, could it be this? Could it be that? Um, but the bottom line is we just don't know at this point. So it's just one of many different things to throw out there and say, uh, you know, what is it? Is it just something where they're missing their, you know, is there food? Is it, could it just be old age? You know, is, uh, are these all, uh, older whales? Is it something there that they got sick on themselves? Um, but it is obviously something that's a, a unique concern at this point, but it, at least it wasn't an entanglement from our perspective. 
I wonder if it has to do with uh, the fact that everybody's got a camera in their hands now. So this was, might have been going on for years and years and years, and no one really knew, right? right? Someone would see it on the beach and mention it to their friend. But once you put it out there on Instagram, and then it's shared all over, and then the TV stations get involved when they see that, I think that might be that's uh, that, That's certainly, you know, there's a few issues that are like that where, you, you know, the... the uh, the change in social media certainly makes everything uh, much more um, much more heightened uh, in terms of uh, what people are alerted to, uh, and I think that's you know there there is something to that. I think that I think that has to do with a lot of things in society. That for years, you know, I used to hitchhike when I was a kid all over town, and no, and our mother's friends would pick us up and say, "Now, Chris," <laughs> and but. And I'm sure there were terrible stories that happened, but they how did they get out there? How were they disseminated? So I, I think that's part of it. So listen, you're a, um, I wanted to talk about you as a, as a human being and not necessarily as the executive director. Not that you're not a human doing that. <laughs> But uh, what, you know, what interests you have, you know, you're in a beautiful part of the state. Are you, do you get inland a little more on your spare time? You're, what kind of, what's your family situation? And, you know, you obviously want to have a balanced life, I would imagine. <laughs> I try. It's, uh, we'll see after the season gets, uh, gets calmed down a little bit. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, we, love getting around uh you know we love to explore the state when we have an opportunity we love getting up and down the coast even though you know that's part of my job i still love getting up and down the coast when when it's just free time i love to explore the parts that i don't get to explore when i'm working you know we love getting up to lincoln city we love getting up to astoria getting down to brooking even you know when you're working you're working and so i I like to kind of uh notch things and go Hey, I, I, if I have more time, I want to go back and see that. And so, you know, when I have spare time, I I still like to go back to those places and and uh, and, and explore. Uh, and then, you know, if I get a chance to get inland, I, I like to do that. I I do, um, you know, I I do when I have free time. I have I, I do a couple of moonlighting gigs. I um, I have a long history of doing community theater so i try to if i f- can squeeze in time to do community theater i do that and i i uh i do um back from my journalism days i did broadcast for uh high school uh football and basketball so uh i help out uh one of the local uh radio stations if they need me to fill in and um and that's got to be fun that was my goal as a kid that's what i wanted to do yeah that was that instead i'm sitting here talking to you Yeah, exactly well (laughs) they're always looking for help chris we'll take you i'll I'll spread you around because uh this year was one where they you know they they called this was one of the first times i couldn't do uh uh an event the uh os i i do for one of the stations and then i started doing it for osaa on on uh occasion when they needed help and they they said hey we need help and i said not this year this year i'm swamped so uh uh but yeah they're always looking for 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 new talent if if a baseball gig comes up i would love to do that i feel more comfortable because that's my i spend more time these days watching that as a kid i had my black and white sony and I would turn Marv Albert down and do the Knicks and the Rangers games. And uh, football, I mean, I was a huge f- 
Jets fan. So I loved it. It's what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I started this podcast and I had a mic in front of me that I, that I realized, hey, wait a minute, this is what I wanted to do as a kid. And <laughs> here I am. So you're, a, you're a, speaking of sports, um, you moved out here a long time ago. I would imagine you had to curtail <laughs> your uh, love, well, your ability to view sports when you moved out to the West Coast, watch your Chicago teams. It wasn't that easy in the 90s and 2000s or early. And now I find myself as a Met fan, I just love, I can buy the MLB TV package. Games start at four, generally, right? And they end at seven, and you still got your evening. It's better watching sports out here than it is back east do you feel that same way i don't know if you're yeah a baseball fan. You, uh, yeah you I, mentioned yeah. basketball and, and yeah unfortunately and, none of my teams have done well for the most part but i you know that that helps a little bit where i'm like oh well, i guess i don't have to watch them the rest of this year but um, i know that deal <laughs> <laughs> i i actually grew up uh yeah i, I like all you know I, I followed all the chicago sports uh I was a huge fan were you a white Sox or a cubs fan i was one of those and and you know probably i don't know some some hate this some don't um and even in my family uh, you know they're they're pretty split um i've got brothers and brother-in-laws and they're evenly split but i grew up both uh, we grew up in my. It's impossible. Well, no, I grew up in my. I grew up with my grandma uh, in the house with us, in the days when they did not have uh, Cubs did not play at night. So, I would grow. I would watch. She was a lifetime oh, Cubs Makes fan. Sense. So I would yeah. watch the Cubs with her during the day, and uh, and then my dad was from Cicero on the south side of Chicago. He was a lifetime Sox fan. So he'd come home from work and we'd watch the the Sox game. And, uh, and so I grew up in the day I'd watch the Cubs with her at night. I'd watch the Sox with him and, and they'd always, it works because neither of them are winning. Exactly. They're just, you're just watching it. They'd always say, you know, my friends and, and the family would always say, well, you got to pick one. And I'd say, when they play each other in the world series, I'll pick one. And uh, I was fairly sure. And so far I have not had to come to that conclusion yet. So. Well, you know, what's interesting about sports. You can you don't necessarily, you can't intellectualize that ahead of time necessarily i find myself it's not till the game starts that you in a situation like that that you all of a sudden find yourself rooting one way or the other yeah. so <laughs> i but i never had any I, there was never an issue on mets versus yankees i i learned to you know they were not that anybody listening to this or you care <laughs> but you know the, the yankees were nothing when I was of age, like I started being a Met fan in 65. Yeah, there was Mickey Mantle, but they didn't do anything till I was away in college and I wasn't paying attention at all. I didn't care about either team then. So, um, and then there was Steinbrenner. So it's e <laughs> always easy to hate the Yankees. <laughs> so. right. it's, at any rate. It's so. funny. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, like I said, I got family that they, they, you know, they'll hate, they hate the Cubs or they hate the Sox. And, and I, I just have never been able to get to a point where I hated one or the other. Um, you know, I, I, I get equally disappointed by both. Right, but I also think if neither of them are winning, it's harder to hate them. Exactly. Right? It's really hard to hate a loser. <laughs> I mean, you can hate them because they're losing, I suppose. But no, it's, it, it's easy to, you know, hate. Uh, the New England Patriots. Right. Oh God! I, did I just lose all three New England Patriots? But it's easy to ha hate the Patriots. It's easy to hate the Cowboys. 
Um, but yeah, if someone's, you know, if, if they're not really like, how do you hate the pirates? Right. You can't hate the pirates. Right. So. Well, that's what I, you know, we lived for a while in, uh, right when, uh, we lived in Madison, Wisconsin for a while, right when, uh, Brett Favre started going to Super Bowls and, and, uh, I would wear my Bears stuff around him. And that was it also at the time the Bears started, well, one of the times they started stinking. Uh, and, uh, my, my wife would say, you're not wearing that. Uh, and I'd have to go to, I couldn't see the, you know, it was always, they played at the same time. The Packers were always on TV. So I'd have to go to a sports bar to watch. And she goes, you're not going to wear that out there. And I said, they're, they're too bad for these guys to hate. You know, they pity me now, you know? And, and it was true. I mm-hmm. would just, I'd go out there and the, uh, at the apartment complex, they would all just, you know, I'd get laughs of derision, but nobody did anything. It was just like, you know, just a bunch of drunk Packer fans yelling out at me, how'd they do today? You know, shut up. <laughs> I didn't do well. <laughs> well, I, I have to uh, commend you on your, uh, your chutzpah to, uh, to wear an opposing jersey. I've never done that. The only thing that I ever came close with was uh, I went to Yukon, to Storrs, Connecticut, to a, uh, when, the, when Yukon, which was, you know, great, basketball program was playing my team university of arizona and i had i was right on the when when channing fry was playing and uh i was doing a lot of cheering for arizona and i thought i had it nailed and they they nailed a three-pointer with two seconds left and shut me up so i had that experience once in my life but but no one in connecticut i guess if anybody tried to attack me i would have said hey i'm from this state you can't hate me so (laughs) anyway listen tim i know you're busy this morning and and uh, i really appreciate your taking the time and um and uh, also, I appreciate the commission supporting this podcast. Thank you so much. We can't, uh, we can't thank you enough for that, and we're proud. We have had a thing over the last, I think in the first year or two, we'd probably take any advertiser. We, we took a few. <laughs> and then we got better at this, and we decided let's only have advertisers and supporters that we fully believe in, that we can endorse, and that we really enjoy talking about. So um, you fall right into that category beautifully, and, and uh, it's a pleasure. And we'll get to know, we got to know quite a bit about uh, Crab. I'm sure there's tons we didn't cover. <laughs> But uh, as time goes on, we'll know a little bit more about it, and you can feed us a little information uh, as we go, and uh, we'll get it out there. We'll disseminate. We'll we'll do the best we can uh, on behalf of the commission. Well, I appreciate that, Chris, and I appreciate your interest in in Oregon Dungeness crab and our fishermen and and the commission. And uh, it was my pleasure to join you this morning and uh, help to sh- uh, spread a little uh, Oregon Dungeness crab sunshine out there. Thank you. That's always a good thing, and it's a it's a great time of year. I'll tell you what i I posted a picture on my Instagram, which is Portland Food Adventures, uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a week ago. I think I sent it to you from the top of Neocani Mountain. With uh, I think we counted they aren't all in the frame, but we counted seventeen boats out there on a beautiful night, and uh, it was really a sight to see. It's really a sight to see, and it makes. It makes Oregon even more special that the that crabbers are a big part of it. Well, and, and you know, if there's one thing I can leave with folks right now is that, as we had mentioned, right now the prices are at lows we haven't seen in, in a decade. So 
while we would like to see those go up for the consumer, now is the time to buy. It's the same great crab. It's the same great taste. It's just unbelievably low prices. Don't miss your chance. Go out there and, and buy some uh, Oregon Dungeness crab. Uh, you can get whole cooks uh, for about the price of a candy bar or two. It's just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, these guys are doing unbelievable work for, for that price right now. It's, uh, it's not necessarily great for my guys. Uh, but the best way to show support is go out there and buy some crap. That's the only way you can Well, do yeah. It. And then people get, you get, you've got to be like the drug pusher, get them hooked on it <laughs> so that when prices do go up. Yeah, that's um, right. So just, you know, just really quickly to make it, easier for people to buy that crab if they buy a whole crab what do you suggest the easiest way to prepare it and serve it would be that night without you know of course you can go on youtube and look at look at anything but just from the uh, commissioner's mouth um if you're standing there at the at the counter wherever you might be with a whole crab what do you do with it well, you want to go and make sure you uh, you clean it, or you can have them clean it right there if you want. You have a lot of places they'll uh, um, they'll take care of that. You can ask them. Um, well, I'm talking I'm talking about I've been you know whole cooked crab. Right. Throw it, is- yeah. Throw it in the uh, throw it in the boiler boiling water for about twenty minutes. Uh, just get it uh, uh, warmed up a little bit so it'll. Uh, you know, come apart a little bit easier. Put it after you boil it. Put it on a little bit of ice for about a minute or two to, so you get it cooked up a little bit. Boil it on some ice so it cools up a little bit. Uh, that's actually if it's if you bought a live whole cook. I, I guess if you bought it already uh, frozen out of the frozen section, you don't have to do the boiling part. You can just take it home. Uh, you just uh, do what I sh- as I mentioned. Crack that. Uh, uh, do the take the back off. And then go to work on the uh, knuckling down. I would uh, break uh, break that meat out a little bit, and then go to work peeling those up. Get a little bit of bit potatoes alongside, maybe some baked beans. You're good to go. You can and eat you it right some, out of there. If you can, if you know how to do clarified butter, but you can just melt butter and dip it in melted butter. Exactly, too. Exactly. It's good with, even That's without the, the butter. The butter adds a little bit of cholesterol. But yeah, I mean, what's what's not to like about adding a little butter to your uh, to your crab? Yeah. You're ahead of the game starting off. It's a nutritious, it delicious. It is. It's heart healthy. You know, so a little bit of butter It's good, good for you, but a little bit of butter is not going to hurt you too bad. Just don't overdo it. Well, yeah, and don't hold us to that. That's, so, <laughs> That's right. But I'm really glad to know I can put down the candy bar and go get crab instead because you said it's six and one half dozen the other now. So exactly. We're in. Exactly. <laughs> my my cardiologist will be glad to hear that I've, <laughs> that I've done that. Um so, all right. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Um, we'll hope to. Uh, I'd like to break some crab with you sometime. We'll find a way. We get down the coast quite often, or when you're getting up to the north coast, look us up here. Definitely, I will. Uh, will do that, and I'll bring the crab with me. All right, that'll be great. And then I'll make sure I'll bug you. <laughs> okay, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 